Gonna spend my Christmas with a dollar And hug him underneath the mistletoe And if he's very nice, I'll feed him sugar spice Welcome to episode 101 of the Metabilis 2 podcast featuring myself, Ben. And David. And this week we are doing a Christmas, special festive Christmas episode. We are, for all yes. You special festive Christmas loving folks out there, mm-hmm. uh, which is a Christmas, don't do Christmas episode smackdown. David, explain the rules. We are doing a Christmas special this year, as is every year, as a tradition in Doctor Who uh, podcasting, or at least in the Metabilis 2 podcasting, (laughs) unlike the show that we love. Ooh, they're doing a New Year's Eve special instead. (laughs) Yes, our Christmas special is, we're doing a Smackdown. So, uh, we've done Smackdowns before, and this is where... We choose five five facets or aspects of the show, and this this SmackDown is on Christmas specials. So I have chosen five things or scenes or elements of a Christmas special of uh, various ten ten years of Christmas specials that ten years did not work. So and then Ben will defend and explain why those were good choices, and then Ben has also chosen five in which I will have to defend and say why those work and why they're particularly uh, excellent at Christmas. And if by some chance we <laughs> stumble upon them both, uh, we'll say snap and uh, try to weigh the pros yeah. and cons, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, and exactly, you know, I, I might actually agree, so... Yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah. I will try and disagree with, well, with, with, with whatever you say. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Um, we'll probably, at least with some of these, agree that these were horrible decisions, but in the spirit of uh, Christmas giving, we will try to give the showrunners <laughs> the benefit of the doubt. Benefit of the doubt, exactly. Both uh, RTD and the Grand Moff, and defend their choice. As, defend uh, their choice. Uh, yeah. if, uh, if only, if as only sincerely we had... as we can, I guess. It's, exactly, exactly. <laughs> right, well, I, don't, I think you're kicking off. Yes, I drew the short candy Kane, so I will be going first. And your first one is? My first pick is going back to 2006 with The Runaway Bride and then filming the Christmas special in the height of summer. Which... Oh snap! That was my <laughs> that was my very first one as well. Oh okay. So my my thinking is 
It's a pretty decent yeah, explain story. It. Explain it if you can. No, yeah. I know it's my job to explain it. Okay, <laughs> well, criticize I, I, it. My, if my you criticism can. is it's a pretty it's decent summer. story, but then with the car chase, it totally takes you out. You can explain away the light levels yes. for the outdoor scenes, but the car chase going through down. The well, it's the ring road. It's the ring road around Cardiff, right. is where, the, where that's actually shot. Yeah. And then, but the fully leafy, deciduous trees really take you out of the suspension of disbelief that this is happening in the middle of winter. Yes. So I, I agree. So, <laughs> well, okay, so, so yeah. <laughs> um carry on. Um, so keep 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 on l- l- laying into it. It should have been something else. I guess yeah. if you made it studio bound, you could have worked around it, maybe set this in the uh set it in Australia. I don't know. Oh, yeah. But or or seasonal variant, you know, like we had with uh Clause of access with uh, strange, strange weather. Maybe it's global warming or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, but it just, it just really takes me out of the mood whenever I see the. <laughs> this is supposed to be Christmas. I bet Catherine Tate could do a really good Australian accent, and she could be like <laughs> Perry. She could just be. Then she'd have to be Australian for like the whole show. Well, she doesn't have to. She wouldn't have to be Australian. She could just be uh, dating some in bloke in Australia. Uh, yeah, I, that would have worked so much better. No, it is. It is so clearly. I'm sorry. I'm. I can't disagree with you. It's so clearly, so clearly the middle of summer. Um, and you wonder. You wonder what. The, I mean, the level of ambition always with RTD Doctor Who is just so mightily right. huge. You got to hand it to them. But you know, just the even the thought of like we need to do a Christmas special. When can we film it? Uh, it's got to be August. Okay, let's just pretend it's Christmas then. <laughs> And it is, it is, it is about pretending, right. you know, and, and it's, it's, you know, it's a willful suspension of disbelief. But you can work around it if you're not shooting on the ring road around Cardiff. Well, I mean, I, I think I have read somewhere, and maybe it was in the writer's tale thing that um, RTD produced, that he'd had this recurring dream as a child, or maybe as an adult, who knows, <laughs> of the TARDIS pursuing a car, right. and, or vice versa. Great idea. Which is a great idea. And so, I mean, he wanted to do this since he was a nipper, basically. <laughs> and um, I guess this was his one opportunity, and he took it, and he ran with it. And, uh, you know, it's the TARDIS pursuing a car with a TARDIS car chase. It's kind of, bit, you can't really fake that. But you could CGI it, right? You could put a green... Back in 2006, you think? Oh, well, hear me out. You could put okay. the green barriers up off, off the side, so you're filming on the road, but then you have the green, and the background is pretty blurry anyway, so with the amount of CGI, now maybe it's out of budget, you could have had an entirely a winter-type background on there. Right. Either that or not do the scene or film it differently so it's not so patently obvious that yeah. <laughs> that it's it's in the middle of summer well see i mean this is why one understands you know why hollywood and california right were the place where they made movies because there is no weather there <laughs> so you know it could be summer it could be winter right. but nobody no one really cares that much and mm-hmm. you can you know so it's 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 why it's, it's 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 how you start to understand the difficulties of filming a show like Doctor mm-hmm. Who in Britain, mm-hmm. and that's actually the difficulties of filming like any show right. of any kind in Britain, to be honest, because you can't really trust the weather, mm-hmm. and it has to be seasonal. I mean, what I, what I was watching a movie the other night. Shoot, what was it? Um, and again, it was so clearly. Oh, that's it. It was one of those. Um, it was, 
you know, one of these, like, I think it was Killing Eve, you know, one of these, you know, kind of miniseries stuff you right. get on Netflix right. and stuff. And it was so clearly the seasons changed in the plot, mm-hmm. but the seasons did not change <laughs> in the filming. And it was still like, it's the middle of winter. And they're right. all saying, like, it's the summertime. Right. It's not the summertime. There are no leaves on the trees unless in some ways there's been some terrible disaster. It is still the wintertime mm-hmm. and you're not fooling me. So I th- anyway. I, th- I think that maybe you should have not written that scene or tried yeah. harder to cover it up. But again, this was only the second second Christmas special, wasn't it? I think it was. I think it was. And it, I mean, it, and it's a massively stupid plot as well. You know, I mean, like you know, the, you drain the Thames down to the center of the earth to drown a bunch of spiders. Right. I mean, the whole thing is like you run the bath. Uh, to like drown the spider in the bathtub. Right. I mean, the whole thing is it's sort a joke. of a joke. Yeah, it's a yeah, joke. The yeah. whole thing is a joke. Yeah, but I mean, it's fun. I watched a bit it's of a it. fun joke. I watched a bit of it last uh, last weekend after our 100th podcast, and just because uh, we were we had talked about doing this, and it's a fun right, episode, right. and it that's is. Uh, it makes you miss RTD's show running because or, or storytelling. He's really got a light touch with yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. And also, I mean, the chemistry, the chemistry you see oh. start to develop between Tennant and Catherine Tate is just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, wouldn't have believed it at the time. Fandom was really down on Catherine Tate being yeah. uh, Donna Noble. But it's fun in retrospect. The episode continues to grow on me, but it always always takes me out when I see the uh, <laughs> leafy green trees of Christmas. I mean... It- and again, it is, you know, it's Wales, it's South Wales, it's Cardiff, like it rains all the time in Wales. So, you know, when it is sunny, everything is like super duper green. You can't even sort of, you know, <laughs> Dull put it up. the camera somewhere else. You know, it's, it's the Wales is the most iridescently green country on the planet. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe Ireland is slightly greener, but right. Wales is, you know, how green is my valley? Um, <laughs> it's, it's green. And in the summertime, it's super green. So yeah. what are you going to do? Yeah. Goodness. So, should I go again, or should do you want to do your number two? Since we we snapped on that one. Okay. Well, I, I will go, and I'll do um I'll do Voyage of the Damned. All right. So we're whizzing. Ooh. We're just going next one, year. <laughs> one year on, uh, two thousand seven, and I'm going to complain that Kylie Minogue never became a companion. Hmm. She okay. would have been amazing. I thought she was great. So my hope throughout Voyage of the Damned is that Astrid. Which of course, you know, is is some potential anagram of TARDIS, <laughs> right? A little bit. Right. Um, that there was going to be something incredibly awesome would happen, and I don't know, Astrid would be absorbed into. She would be revealed to be a TARDIS or a Time Lord, or she'd be absorbed into the TARDIS, or I don't know. Or Kylie Minogue would then become a regular because you know, kind of, she's a big pop star, but she started out as an actor, as right. an actor. And and that she would have become she would have would have become a companion, and I just thought that was going to be amazing and fantastic. I was like, well, we're going to get a Kylie Minogue action figure, which I guess we did in the end. <laughs> you did, you got uh, one. Uh, uh, but it wasn't, you know, it's it's it, it could have been it could have been better. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that was my problem with the uh, with Voyage of the Dam. That and the angel the the angel robots. Uh, <laughs> what are they called? Um, they the should host host heavenly hosts. Oh, the host. That's it. That that, that that's it. The angelic hosts. Um, should have been more like the robots from the Sand Miner. Hmm. Which they should have been more robots of Deathy. They could have been. They could have been. I mean, it's it's it had that kind of rich, yeah, yeah. Ed, you know, kind of Art Deco right. Edwardian feel to it because right. it was the spaceship Titanic. Mm-hmm. They really could have run with that better. So, two my two problems with that is one. 
they couldn't convince a, a world famous pop star to become <laughs> a regular in a in a British sci fi TV show, mm-hmm. and they didn't do a callback to my uh, one of my top five favorite Doctors of all time. All right. Okay. Well. So I have to defend why they didn't have a uh, internationally acclaimed pop star as a regular companion. Yeah, you have you have to say how, how much you dislike Kylie Minogue because you thought she gave a bad performance and shouldn't have become a companion. Ah. Well, no, it, it's the reason is it was just would have been too samey because Billy Piper was a pop star and to have back to back the reason pop star companions it would just right. it just would have been unfair to Kylie to put her under that pressure to follow yeah. in <laughs> Billy Piper's shoes. <laughs> because she wants to. Yes, yes. exactly. Yeah. No, you are you're absolutely correct. That is the reason why why they I mean they asked I mean Kylie said, Can I be a companion? Did she? And they went, uh well mm. no, I'm I'm kind of joking here. She didn't really <laughs> say that, but she, I think she probably said and then, then they probably said, Well, sorry, Kylie, we know that you're amazing, but I, it just wouldn't be fair. It just because just, right. It's it a little too d- samey. It would yeah, a little, little too samey. I mean, we like you, we think you're a good actor, mm-hmm. we think you're a good singer, but we just think it would be too samey with the show. We've already had a world ish famous pop star <laughs> in, in, in the shape of Billy Piper and it's it's just not gonna work. You know, so she should Kylie have, was Yeah, she should have come on open casting back in two thousand four when they were looking for the first companion of the new series. Sa- that's what they said. Said Kylie, if only you'd come to us in two thousand and four and said this, then we probably, well, we would have given you a fair crack at the whip. We probably still have, would have gone with, um, uh, 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 with, uh, with 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 Rose. Um, but anyway, so yeah, and, that, <laughs> yep. and that's actually what happened. Yeah. So then Kylie was very upset. Mm-hmm. Um, we've never really heard from her since. Mm-hmm. She's gone into depression. Yeah, because she, like you said, she really wanted to be a companion. Oh God, she right? wants... it wasn't it wasn't a one off. No, no, no. She was desperate. She was desperate. And they said, sorry, yep. you can't do it. RTD, yep. Yep. And then for the heavenly host, why aren't they more like the robots of death? Now, that's that's a good, good question. I think the reason why is pretty much RTD didn't want to play Chris Boucher royalties. He has a chip on his shoulder <laughs> against Chris Boucher. And to have a callback to the, uh, the Calder true. City robots would have been just, you know, it's, uh, Boucher would have been getting a check from New Doctor Who. He probably would have came back and said, I want to write for it. You know, yeah, I want to write. Mervyn Hayesman and Henry Lincoln all over again. Yeah, it would have been. And so it was just, it was, it was better to have a clean break. Clean break. Clean break and just, uh, you know, kind of rip them off. But just paint them white but, instead. Yeah, pa- paint them white. And the other other thing, of course, is the robots of the Sand Miner couldn't fly. And the all-important scene <laughs> at the end, after Kylie uh, plummets uh, with Max Capricorn or in, into the uh, atomic core of the starship Titanic, yeah, he needed flying robots and, uh, you know, Chris wouldn't budge on it and says, nope, the robots of Calder City do not fly. They do not. They do not fly. They have never flown. They never will fly. I'm walking off the set. Over my dead body. Over my dead body, yeah. And so uh, RTD said, fine, be that way. Just a quick rewrite. Wham, bam. We got flying uh, Heavenly Host. Heavenly Host. Uh, that is also, you've, you've described the reason perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that is why, and you know, I'm sorry it was a disappointment to you, but you know, RTD had to, yep. had to draw the line somewhere. Had to draw the line somewhere. No, I, I agree. I mean, you've, again, you've won. 
Right. Oh, okay. What's your next one? So, a little bit more serious this time. I'm going to uh. jump all the way into Matt Smith's farewell episode, the 2013 Christmas special, The Time of the Doctor. Uh. And it begins great because we see Matt Smith holding up a Dalek eye stock, yep. and he's in the middle of the Dalek ship where they're all going to exterminate, and he gets materialized off the Dalek ship and then we meet Handles which is really interesting and then we see another kind of vignette where he's holding Handles up and he's in a cyber ship which is it's interesting we got Daleks we got Cybermen and then we get the phone call from Clara and what does Clara want she wants us to meet the Insta family just add water with uh (laughs) with dad Linda and Gran and she wants the doctor to be your boyfriend and then to compound this idiocy, <laughs> which just totally ruins what, what I was thinking it was to be a Clara-free episode, yeah. is uh, she wants the doctor to be her boyfriend. And not only that, we have the whole thing of the doctor being naked for her family and just the holographic clothing that the doctor chose to wear because he wanted to be uh, naked for Tasha Lem in church. Yeah. So, um. so. Why, 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 Mr. Moffat? Why? <laughs> Defend that decision. <laughs> well, it's they are certainly the, the world's least convincing family. That's true. <laughs> um, okay, what, what, what this is, this is Moffat going back to his coupling days mm. and, you know, writing, you know, a comedy, a piece of comedy about the embarrassment of having to bring a boyfriend of some kind for a reason back to your embarrassing family at a holiday time mm-hmm. and there'd be an incident with some clothes. I mean, he's trying to get back to his sitcom, sitcom-ish roots. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I mean, I never thought his sitcoms were that funny anyway. Right. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, that's what he's doing. That's, and you know, they want to give us some light, fluffy, you know, Clara time right. before we go into the, like, you know, the, the whole Trenzalore malarkey. Right. And, you know, and this is a regeneration episode. It is. We're going to lose, I mean, arguably, and I would, and arguably I say because I would argue against it, but certainly, inarguably, I think probably the, the breakthrough doctor, which is America's doctor. Everyone, they all wear fezzes and bow ties now. <laughs> um, I'm expecting to see millions of them at, um, at Gallifrey, a one this year. And, you know, just to break up the mood, give us a little bit of comedy before we go into the seriousness of this final stand mm. that the Doctor has, the Trenzalore thing, you know, he's dead and now he's alive right. again or something. Um, can't old remember, man, don't care. Old, old Doctor. Yes, he becomes an old man, some pretty relatively unconvincing old man makeup. <laughs> um, so this is, yeah, this is a little little comedy segment. You know, it's, 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 it's Moffat saying, I've still got it, I can still do the comedy. Looking for a job after... Looking for a job. <laughs> I, can st- I can, still, can still knock you off a couple of sitcoms <laughs> before breakfast. Yep. When I'm done with this nonsense. So it's more of an audition piece. Yeah. It's kind of audition mm, piece. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's doing some family related embarrassment comedy. Mm-hmm. And um, from the 90s. And the instant family is just kind of a, a like an homage to RTD maybe? Yes. It's a, it's a, it's a, exactly. They're <laughs> like a, uh, they like a, it's like a, yes, I can do what RTD can do. I can do a family. Look, here's the family. They act, behave like robots or possibly clones mm-hmm. of another family. Uh, but they're not. This is how I write families right. now, and it's really convincing. <laughs> give me, give me a job after I've done with All this. Right. You, you have me almost, almost convinced, <laughs> except for the, except for the holographic clothing and the and the doctor forgetting to extend that holographic projection to Clara's family. Yeah. Well, again, you see, it's the comedy of embarrassment. Uh, see, what is more embarrassing uh, than getting your okay. fake boyfriend over and him being naked for a reason? <laughs> 
It happens every Christmas for me. Every Christmas. Okay. Yeah. Every Christmas, I get my fake boyfriend over. He's naked, and everyone gets embarrassed. Yeah. Well, yeah. Except for Gran, who kind of likes it. Except for Gran, of course, because as we all know that she's been nipping at the sauce. (laughs) Exactly. That women have this arc where you know the middle-aged woman is kind of desperately unsexy, but then of course when when you get to like the older woman, they suddenly become interested in sex again, purely for comedy effect. Ah. Okay. So. Yeah. Okay, you're up. I'm convinced. Sold. Okay. <laughs> I'll look at okay. it with fresh new eyes. <laughs> fresh new eyes. Okay, so this is, this is my relatively serious one. All right. Which is, I don't... So, okay, we're now shooting forward to the following year, Christmas uh, 2014. Ah, last Christmas. Last Christmas. Great episode. This is actually probably one of my favorite Christmas episodes, in fact. Mm-hmm. Even with Santa. And the Santa is fine because it's... Um, uh, what's his Nick name? Frost. Uh, Nick Frost, who, you know, A, he's called Nick Frost, <laughs> which makes him perfect to play yeah. Santa Claus. And also he's super funny and he's an interesting... He has interesting a good man. attitude. Good attitude. I like the dream crabs. They're super cool. Yep. Um, you know, I'm really enjoying the Doctor, of course, at that point. You know, it's a newish Doctor. What really irritates me about this episode is that they so patently set it up for this is Clara's leaving episode. This is when she leaves the Doctor. And then she, the actress decides that she doesn't want to leave the show and they just write her back in again. And that's very disappointing because I think this is a perfect... I mean, I don't like Clara as a companion <laughs> at all, as everyone knows. I, you know, that's fine. Um, but I mean, I, I think the actual send-off that Clara got, which is, you know, a couple of years hence, unfortunately, at this point... <laughs> Um, was 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 bad, and this one is a really good one. You have the doctor seeing the old Clara in bed, and it's all kind of you know sad and right. stuff. And then right. like you know, next episode, oh, she's back again. It's like oh, we thought we got rid of her, <laughs> but she's back. So, all right. Well, the reason why to keep Clara on was so in the very, I think almost the next episode, uh, the second episode of series nine, we get to see Missy kick Clara into the Dalek sewer. And if Clara had left at Christmas, we would be, uh, we wouldn't been uh, given that opportunity, that gift of seeing Clara get kicked by Missy into a sewer, being hogtied and hung upside down and taunted with a pointy stick, a la Monty Python, That's true. by Michelle Gomez. And I know you're not a big fan of Michelle Gomez, but her relationship... I'm more of a fan of Michelle, <laughs> Michelle Gomez than I am of Clara Oswald. Well, her relationship with uh, Clara, the witch is familiar, was spot on. I mean, she... She almost got her killed in a Dalek. So we would have missed that episode. That would have been another great episode for Clara to die in, actually, <laughs> to be honest. Yes. And then we would have then we also would have missed the treat that is Face the Raven, where we ultimately see Clara go in an overly melodramatic uh, with all her own agency, but making a really dumb mistake, uh, trying to be the doctor. So we missed that. That's true. I mean that. I, yeah, that that's true. I mean I don't care for Face the Raven. I'm afraid, mm-hmm. um, mainly because it appears to be set in like a Harry Potter <laughs> world of some kind. It's too whimsical. The the, <laughs> the, the planet of the Harry Potters. Doctor it's Who. London the, isn't all London like that. It is. It's all exactly like that. Yeah. It's it's set in Diagon Alley. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's a funny joke, and that irritates me about it. But uh, yeah, okay. If to, I, I, hmm. So I'm torn between a companion having a good exit <laughs> and a companion that I dislike 
carrying on so that I can continue to hate Watcher for <laughs> another couple of seasons. Um, I'm I'm going to give it to okay, you. Okay, see, I disagree that uh, Last Christmas was her best exit. I think her best exit was at, probably at the end of Series 8 when both the Doctor and Clara were lying to each other and leaving a lie. I thought that was perfect for the the character of uh, Clara that was in Series 8. But then oh, okay. Moffat keeps reinventing her each year, and she has a different, different personality. And it could have worked because he sets up Clara to be this fragmented individual through time so we could have had different versions of Clara but by continuing Forever. but yeah oh <laughs> well until uh until uh generally Coleman uh was able to find a different job which which eventually I think she left to what to be Queen Victoria Queen Victoria yeah Queen so, Victoria so now, yeah. yeah she landed on her feet yeah the uh, world now loves her as the young Queen Victoria yeah so but yeah. I mean she she just needed a year to um shine up her resume and you know right she's right. a jobbing actor and had to find work so uh moffitt of course you know loves loves his leading lady and says of course come back welcome arms yeah. and so he reinvented her but if he would have done different uh, uh splinters of clara it might have worked a little better yeah i'm i'm good i'm fine yeah okay I'm, you, you convinced me you convinced me <laughs> okay well easy sale there all right uh Hmm, let's see. Do, do, do. All right, another a bit of Moffat whimsy. A Christmas Carol. And Ooh. overall, it's pretty whimsical. Uh, but I'm going to let the flying sharks and the flying fish and that slide and point out one trait that I'm not fond of at all with Moffat writing. Uh, the 1952 Christmas party with Marilyn Monroe where the doctor uh, is going to be singing with Frank Sinatra and accidentally gets married to Marilyn Monroe. Could have given that a pass. I'm not sure that type of humor works for uh, a viewer such as me. Uh, I agree, I'm afraid. Um, I mean, I think, you know, we all know Moffat has a he has a kind of teenage boy relationship with women basically at times with his writing at least with his writing and i think also in some ways you know the fact that all actresses have to do when he's written them out is go like no we don't want to be written out. i go oh yes oh that's fine come back um he's kind of scared of them and um doesn't really understand them can't really write them that well in my opinion if you wanted to call women thems rather than just regular human beings. Um, <laughs> and, um, sort of like a know, 1950s horror movie? Yes, the them. The <laughs> attack of the women. Ah, And yeah, and obviously, you know, he's, he's like like all men of probably his age. Um, you know, it was like, oh, Marilyn Monroe's wonderfully, oh, what a lo lovely, attractive woman she mm -hmm. was. I need to have her in my Doctor Who that I'm writing that has all the things that I like in it because I'm the person who's writing all of them. And she's kind of shoehorned in. And obviously, you know, there's a bunch of Mary Sues throughout Moffat's writing. Um, I think this point is is the, the Doctor is basically a stand-in for um, Moffat himself who also wants to sing with Frank Sinatra and marry, marry Marilyn Monroe. It's his show. He's writing it. He's the showrunner. <laughs> why can't he just write his stand-in in as someone who marries Marilyn Monroe and sings with Frank Sinatra? Well, I, I guess. He can do what he wants. So uh, Matt Smith has a Moffat avatar. He's a, he's a, he's a Moffatar, indeed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for, for me, and since, yeah. since you're agreeing with me, it, it could have been a throwaway line, but then it's the final joke of the story because 
Rory goes into the TARDIS and says the phone was ringing and it's someone who sounds a lot like Marilyn Monroe. And then the the, the punchline is Amy goes, Doctor? And then, oh, 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 oh. and then the doctor says, tell her I phone him back. It was never a real chapel, and then off they go. So it wasn't a throwaway. It, well, it was throwaway, but it was significant to Moffat enough because that was the setup joke to end the story on. I mean, I think that, I think that is actually kind of interesting. I mean, that, that's an interesting comment. I mean, we've already noticed how the throwaway lines of season eleven have not been incredibly successful to our our jaded minds. Um, <laughs> and this, again, as you said, I mean, this is a throwaway line, but again, because Moffat is the showrunner and can do what he likes, he's decided, okay, this, this in regular Doctor Who, this would be a throwaway line, but, you know, I am now riding high on the BBC's most successful show that they've ever produced. Um, I'm going to actually flesh out this throwaway line and actually have Marilyn Monroe and Frank Sinatra in the show. Mm-hmm. Or at least show where that thing happened rather than just have it the usual kind of, you know, I've met Winston, you know, I've met Winston Churchill or, you know, I know Chairman Mao. Right. Or what about the time when all the sheep rebelled right. and, and, and took over the world? I guess it's even more obvious, and this is something we touched on earlier in our uh, Series 11 commentaries or reviews, is how sexualized the Doctor is under Moffat or even under RTD, but when we have a woman in the role, she isn't. Right. And Yes, exactly. It's obvious by its absence. Yes, I would I would definitely agree with that. I definitely agree with that. Yes, and I think I think this is you know, increasingly one of my main objections with with season 11 is that they're not they're not they're not doing what they should do, which is really explore what it would be like for the doctor to be a woman. Right. Yeah. You know, when they when they've actually got the ability to do that because mm-hmm. the doctor is a woman right. at this point. So <laughs> let's actually find let's 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 do that. Right. Um but but they're not. Yeah. Well, I think they were trying to play it safe for the Sunday audience and generally a crowd that might be a little more conservative and more used to watching uh uh nature programs and Yeah. But I mean I think I think it does speak to, you know, in general society's not entirely fully worked out attitudes to kind of male male and female sexuality. Mm. You know that we're still afraid of prime time about having a a, a sexual woman. Anyway, we will see. We yeah, will see what yeah. happens. We maybe maybe the New Year's Eve episode, the Doctor will finally get to snog someone, <laughs> and and we will be happy. Um, it's my turn. Yes. Okay, I am going to go back in time a little bit. All right. And oh, where am I going forward? No, I am. I, I, oh, so I'm going to 2011. All right. And I'm going to the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe. Ooh, okay. Which is a bit of a mess, really, <laughs> kind of all the way through. Um, we've got the tradition of having comedians in the Christmas episode. We've got too many comedians, and they don't have enough comedy to do with themselves. Again, I kind of imagine here that the, the Moffat has just collected together some of his favorite comics and just, okay, like, you're in it now. Right. Do, a, do a comedy thing. And then why we don't have any funny lines. Right. I found it really uncomfortable. The, I mean, obviously he doesn't die in the end. Right. Um, and, you know, Reg, right. um, Alexander Armstrong, is actually, he comes back from the dead, sort of. But they have the whole episode kind of based around something that's really kind of real, like your father dying in a war. Right. You know, the original Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you know, is about children who've 
been orphaned, but they've been orphaned in something a lot more amorphous, as far as I, I can recall, than you know an actual war and an actual aeroplane. And it just seems that the the whole tone, the tone of the episode is just really kind of off kilter by involving actual things like a war with actual death, like people dying in a bomber. Right. And then also having the actor Alexander Armstrong being very well known for doing a comedy routine about a World War II bomber pilot. Mm. And then also having, and this is me being an aeroplane nerd, having the wrong kind of aeroplane as well for that stage of the war. Mm -hmm. 1942, you wouldn't have a Lancaster. Uh, You'd probably have a, 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 I don't know, a a Wellington, I think, uh, would be more likely. So anyway, so this is a general discomfort with with, with actually one of the poorest, I feel, of of the Mm -hmm. 2000-era Christmas specials. So there you go. All right, so... It's just, it's just not very good and tonally incoherent. Okay. So with the casting of uh, uh, Alexander Armstrong as Rex, uh, I think, Arwell? Uh, yes, Reg. Reg Arwell. Reg, Reg Arwell. So yeah, Reginald. Matt Smith is the American doctor, and Alexander Armstrong is, I think, unknown, <laughs> even to this day, in the States. I don't think he's made, <laughs> made much of an impact. So for right. an international audience... That casting decision and even the bomber command or the bomber skit is unknown. So there's not right. the not the baggage that an English audience or a British British audience would bring with it. So right, from a, right. from an international showrunner standpoint, he can get away with it because a Doctor Who is more than just the UK at this stage in the broadcast true history. Enough. True enough. True enough. Now with the Lancaster, there's going to be the train spotters uh, out there, me? like That's me. like like you, Ben, that yep. uh, that know no such things. But again, uh, World War II was uh, 60, 70 years in time since then, and only the true specialists or um, those with a knowledge of history, whether it be a personal, a family bit of history, or uh, a special interest, would know know the difference and spot the difference. That's got four engines. Wellington's got two engines. Yep, I. Uh. The, most people aren't going to know that, so I think uh. Moffat's making a calculated guess. Uh, what kind of bomber? A risk. A risk. What kind of bomber can we have show up on this uh, uh, this mansion? Uh, all right, let's book it. It's World War Two. Good enough. Good enough for me. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Fair enough. So, if he would have said it in uh, forty three, forty four time frame, would the Lancaster been an issue? Hundred percent. No, uh, Lancaster would be right there. Right. So that's why I don't understand why we have to have nineteen forty two. This is a this is a particular bugaboo that you have. You know, like with Demons of Punjab again, or the Wishfinders, where we have the right. historical inaccuracies that uh, kind of undermined undermine a, a, a story. I wouldn't say a great story, which could be very, <laughs> very, very easily overcome by just changing it by a couple of years and i think this is a a problem with the showrunner being not really having a script editor i think this is why back in the day back in the 70s 60s and 70s why the script editor wasn't to write scripts that he and in this always he commissioned for himself indeed it's very hard to edit and catch your own mistakes so uh, in, in Moffat's defense, he probably would have caught this if he had a strong enough script editor, which there is a script editor always on the series that would have said, yep. hey, boss, you can't do this. Wrong plane. 
wrong plane. Let's just move it forward by a couple of years mm-hmm. to 1944. Right. Or even 1943 would have done. Um, there was someone in yeah. production who was going to say, oh, we need to find a World War II uh, vintage bomber for this to work. Yeah, I mean, you're not, you're not going to find any any of that era because I think they're all got, they all got they're trashed all the channel. By, the, by the Germans. <laughs> yeah. 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 So not really a defense, but a, kind of an explanation. Good explanation. Uh, Good enough. But I don't know how to respond to the personal connection because I think the personal connection is still very vivid with families who have a a member who served in the Second World War. I I think Moffat liked to try to build in that connection. I mean, he did it with the Cyber Brig on Armistice Day or Remembrance Day. That is true. But they fall short because they're not authentic enough and he's trying to... Uh, he's trying to harness emotions that are not in his script, that are more a societal uh, emotion attached to the event. True. And when he does that, I think it falls short. And so I can't really defend defend that use. But all in all, I, I rather like this Christmas special because it's a focus... Ooh on motherhood and how the mother is the hero of the piece and the mother because uh, we had many stories like uh, with uh, closing time or the uh, uh, I, I can't remember the one with the nightmare with the china the china doll faces is the mark Gatiss oh yeah kid. whatever that one's cool yeah, yeah. Yes. it's always the love of the father so this is one of the rare examples in Doctor Who, where it's the love of the mother that saves saves the day. So Fair I I liked uh, Claire Skinner as a Madge. So I, it it worked. Could it have been better? Yes, yes, definitely. But for a Christmas special, I don't think it's one of the worst. Criminal waste of Bill Bailey and Arabella Weir, though, who are yeah, amazing comedians, yeah. and they've really like they weren't given any funny lines. Yeah. So of course they couldn't be funny, which was kind of a pity but there you go yeah i mean i i'm trying to think of straight roles that that bill bailey's done he hasn't really done any straight roles he's a he's a funny man <laughs> he, he did it in doctor who <laughs> that's true that's true he did do it in doctor who all right i'm 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 vaguely convinced i still don't like the episode i still wish they'd change the year yeah it'd be like uh, casting Catherine tate and not having her do any comedy with david tennant what's the point yeah, and exactly. I mean, she, I mean, Catherine Tate has has got some serious lines, but she knows she, the comedy adds something to it, and I think that's important. It makes it fun to watch. Makes it she's fun to watch. Yeah, and it sets apart the drama when Donna cries at the in the in the Ood episode, the Planet of the Ood episode. It's in contrast, and it allows her character to develop by uh, being this rough around the edges temp with a sharp tongue. Yep. So uh, it can work. Maybe it can't work in a 60-minute Christmas special. Don't know. Yep, I, mean, I agree. Um, you vaguely convinced me, <laughs> but not not fully. It, it, the... it touches on some things that are indefensible, yep. really. Yep. Well, we'll move on here. So let's see. I'm going to nip into or just go back to our what's looking like our final Christmas special of Modern okay. Doctor Who, Twice Upon right. a Time. And... I don't see it wrong with casting uh, the first Doctor and having him in, but not having the first Doctor at the end of his term uh, in the Tenth Planet, but taking the characterization of the first Doctor at the end 
of basically the first season. So taking a 1964 William Hartnell with the smack bottom, which was to his granddaughter and in the Dalek Invasion of Earth, and then using that as your comedy point, which is just wrong, in in your Twice Upon a Time, and then trying to retrofit this episode, this uh, Make Good episode, uh, favor to the BBC, favor to fandom episode, inside uh, the Tenth Planet. So okay with using the First Doctor, not really okay with the portrayal that Moffat decided to gravitate on an earlier First Doctor rather than the First Doctor that had adventured and was uh, this old body's wearing a bit thin at the end of Tenth Planet Doctor. I, I absolutely agree. I think it was a very unfair characterization for 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 the, for the first doctor. There seem to be elements of the kind of, you know, the, so I'm agreeing with you. I'm not defending it. Um I mean I think there are elements of the accumulated, you know, fan wisdom of what Bill Hartnell was like. Right. Sexist, racist, old man, which, you know, I'm sure there were elements of that in his character, but I mean I think, you know, he certainly wasn't I'm Quite sure he wasn't nearly as bad as you know as people as certainly as this as this portrayal of of a of a kind of an an uneasy mix between what we think the actor was like and what we recognize the character was like in his first season. It's not a good piece of writing, and it is I think it's massively unfair to both the actor Bill Hartnell and also to his character the Doctor at that point in the Doctor's you know journey to kind of you know become a character right. So yeah, it's it's a real disappointment actually because I mean I I like as as we all know I mean he wasn't my first choice as playing Bill Hartnell and the first Doctor, but I mean I think David Bradley does an excellent job and I think we're going to see more of him. He's already been he's already I think recorded stuff for Big Finish as the first Doctor. I, I haven't actually listened to those. I I hope they're better than this. You were thinking of Robert Carlyle, right? I really wanted Robert Carlyle, yeah. yeah. I think because I, I, because I, the, the reason why I wanted Robert Carlyle is because because Bill Hartnell didn't start out being an avuncular old man, right? Uh, you know, he started out being a, a drill sergeant and a boxing coach and these kind of tough working class characters, mm-hmm. which is why when he toggled into this kind of space traveling old man, and of course he well, he wasn't old. The thing about David Bradley, he's actually too old to play Bill Hartnell, right. and he's too old to play the First Doctor. Mm. Um, so yeah, Robert Carlyle, and also also uh, 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 Bradley's too big. I mean, Hartnell was a small man. You know, he originally wanted to be a jockey, as I understand. Right. And you know, Carlyle is a small, little small man. So anyway, mm. I mean, that's just me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Defenseless. But yeah, it was, it was disappointing. Yes. Disappointing, and you know, and again. Why we have to endlessly shoehorn the Brigadier into everything. I mean, you know, we all love the Brigadier as a character, but why he has to be related to everybody um, in some weird way, <laughs> I, I don't really think that that's necessary, to be honest. I think it was certainly better than having him as Cyberbrig. So if. That was an. That was, yes, okay, that, was, that is an improvement. I think if we didn't have the Cyberbrig, I think we would have been okay with uh, Hamish uh, Lethbridge Stewart or Hamish Stewart or whatever. Uh, Mark Gatiss's character was. Whatever the hell he I'm was. I'm not called. sure it was Hamish. Was he called Hamish? Hang on, I'm going to click on him now. <laughs> um, he was called. He was called the Captain here. He doesn't have a uh, Archibald, Archibald Hamish. Left his job. Hamish was middle uh, name. All right. That's not a convincing name. <laughs> Alistair Gordon, Lethbridge Stewart. Now that's Hamish. <laughs> I, I don't find that. That's a joke. Scottish name. Yeah. Anyway. All right. 
All right. Um, what's my last one? Oh, my last one is this one. Hang on. Uh, let me get my notes. My last one. My last one is we'll go to one of the more confusing. <laughs> Oh boy! <laughs> Certainly for me, Christmas episodes was like I was remember watching this going like I don't know what the hell's going on, um, and this is the husbands of River Song. Oh boy! So, okay. So I mean, a I really still don't understand what's happening in this episode. I mean, I don't. Uh, I didn't sadly rewatch it for this podcast. Um, I guess I should have done, but I didn't. Um, I I might actually watch it tonight. Actually, yeah. Af- after Christmas-y, the podcast, yes. Chris, it feels Christmas. It's it's really very confusing, and there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of weird Moffaty tangles that have to be untangled and then retangled again to his own joy right. and to his audience's confusion. Um, what <laughs> what really took me out of this? What really kind of made me think I'm watching a television show rather than I'm in some way participating in something that really happened is having Craig Davis. <laughs> As King Hydroflex. I, A, <laughs> King Hydroflex, it's a joke name. Like, no one right. is, called, is called King Hydroflex. Right, right. Even actual, like, space tyrants, of which Doctor Who is full of space tyrants. It's mm-hmm. a show that's basically about space tyrants. None of them are kings, and none of them are called Hydroflex. So that's that. And then it's Greg Davis. Now, Greg Davis, is, he's about seven feet tall in real life. Well, I think he's six foot six in real life. He's one of Britain's tallest comedians. <laughs> and that's his billing, right? Britain's tallest it, comedian? <laughs> check out, for those of you who don't know Greg Davis, check out his Netflix comedy specials. He is absolutely hilarious. He's one of the funniest British comedians that I know odd for me because he doesn't really have my sense of humour but he is just hilarious mm-hmm. I, all I could see was Greg Davis it's like it's Greg Davis pretending <laughs> to be in Doctor Who and right. he's got a joke name and he's he's half a robot and then there's a head and there's a diamond in his head right. and then they're on another planet and then Alex Kingston turns up and it's a mess. Mm, okay. So my main problem is is all the way through, and I think this this is the episode right where we first meet um Nardle. Yes, exactly. So again, another comedian comes waltzing on, right? And it, it takes me out of the action completely, especially <laughs> Greg Davis, who's so distinctively big and loud mm-hmm. and huge and different. All right. So why so. why cast Greg Davis? That's the first question. Because there's this ongoing tradition um, of that, comedians, this, in... and this is this is the kind of this is the kind of final when when Moffat finally realizes that it might be a bad idea to keep on casting his favorite comedians, because <laughs> um, I think this is this is the last time that we have a, a comedian in a Christmas episode, mm. unless of course we have one in Return of Doctor Mysterioso. I can't remember. Right. Yeah. All anyway, right. So. All right. Well. First off, let's give uh, Greg Davis's inches back. He is actually six eight, so he oh, he is a giant yeah, a huge, among men. He's, he's a giant man, exactly. <laughs> Size thirteen shoes, so he is no shrinking violet at all. So he commands. I'm impressed that you've that you've, you've memorized the heights of all the British comedians. I have. I have this a uh, big uh, flow chart, this big uh, wall <laughs> eye your, chart here. Your bedroom wall with all the ranks by height. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So the reason for casting Greg Davis obviously was his stature, not his comedic chops, but he does does deliver. And Hydroflex is an over-the-top comedic character. And if you didn't know Greg Davis as a comedian, he is a good comic actor. He does, as I do not know his comedy at all, he delivers it in a convincing way as an over-the-top tyrant who is a cyborg. 
and it, it's funny and he does the head in the bag bits fun, <laughs> funny it, it's a funny episode it's not to be taken too seriously the whole point of this episode is to set up the scene where Moffat has the Capaldi doctor tell River that he he does love her and then the final uh, with the singing sands uh, the final scene where the evening lasts forever and saying goodbye to River. So in a way, this is almost a, another jumping off point for the showrunner. If he never wrote another episode of Doctor Who, this wraps up one of his uh, signature characters, That's River true. Song, and her arc and reinforces her significance to the Doctor. It is a comedic episode. It's an absurdist premise with the cyborg king with interchangeable heads. Nardle is there to be delivering his uh, Matt Lucas. Basically, Matt Lucas is playing to type. He's playing yep. a, a character that he plays uh, in much of his comedy. It's only until we see him in series 10 that he develops a little bit more, uh, I wouldn't say gravitas, but more uh, depth to his character. So he's there in this episode to be exactly what Matt Lucas delivers. So this is all about setting up this this scene and under underscoring Riversong's importance to the Doctor and Moffat's contribution of Riversong to the canon. And the comedians are there to make it a light, funny episode for Christmas. And it makes as much sense as, say, having the Titanic in space and Mac... Max Capricorn trying to crash the Titanic into the Earth to claim the insurance money. I mean, you're true. I mean, they're, they're, you're right. I mean, there is always a, a. I mean, I think especially perhaps in this episode, there is a there's a pantomime aspect mm-hmm. to to Christmas Doctor Who. Is, you know, it is it is comedians, you know, doing roles in a drama that by their mere presence it makes that drama comedic, um, which is certainly with Greg Davis. I think this is the most funny, the funniest episode that Moffat wrote at Christmas. Yeah, the comedy is a bit too broad for me, to be honest. But mm. yes, I mean, if you're damning with faint, with faint <laughs> praise, which I suspect you might be, mm. yes, it is the funniest one that he wrote. It's in the light of, uh, uh, like, The Runaway Bride, which is more of a comedy, which has, you know, like, the, the drown the spider in the bathtub joke or down the sinkhole joke which yeah. um, the voyage of the dam which is a pastiche of disaster movies this is moffat writing comedy for doctor who it's uh comedy is hit or miss with a lot of people i like this episode a lot better than say uh the snowman or a christmas carol when it comes to doctor who christmas specials this it works better to me than the than some of the more serious christmasy bits Oh, I certainly like it better than, than A Christmas Carol. I mean, I do find it a bit confusing. I do need to rewatch it, actually. Yeah. Um, maybe yeah. it will become less confusing to me. I can't remember whether I saw this one live or not. What, what Christmas was that? That was... 2015. 2015, yeah. Yeah. I think we were, I think we were, back, in the, we were in the back in the UK for that Christmas, in which case I would have watched it with a, a family surrounding uh. me all... 
going like, who's that? <laughs> what? What's he? What's he doing? I don't understand. Which always always uh, enhances enjoyment of Doctor Who. I find to be always Does interrupted by questions. Exactly by people not knowing what the plot is, and <laughs> I didn't, and then also expecting me to be able to explain it right. to him when I didn't really understand. And you what sort was of like you shrug your shoulders. It's Moffat. You got to watch it three it's, times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. I think. Well, I think it's your final one. My final one. Uh, Voyage of the Damned is not one of my favorite Christmas specials, and really? I think it's a little bit over over the top. Um, I like Kylie, but uh, the one thing that really, really I think uh, sells it as RTD excess, and it's a little too much for me, is having an actress play. Uh, the queen and having her <laughs> come out in her curlers and pajamas <laughs> in her robe outside Buckingham Palace, waving up to the uh, starship Titanic as it zooms overhead, nearly missing Buckingham Palace and going, uh, thank you, doctor. Thank you. Happy Christmas. It was just a little bit. Uh, it's it's very it's very Russell T. Davis, but it's it's too much. And uh I I just don't like it very much. It's just too it's too absurdist. It's too ridiculous for me. It is it is it is too it is a bit too python to be honest. I mean I'll, I'll have a good RTD has sort of established that there's something up with the royal family. Right. You know, there's some werewolf action going on there. <laughs> so I mean again it's like uh, but then to treat the queen so respectfully is <laughs> well it wasn't respectful to have her well in. I can, it kind of is actually because i mean i mean uh, i think this is this is this is one of those cultural things that i'm always so keen to explain to anybody who'll ask me i'm the, you know the royal family we, we do treat them with a kind of respectful lack of respect okay. in fact the in fact the lack of respect that you treat them with actually is a sign of the if sign of your respect if you see what i mean okay. i.e it's the the presentation of queen victoria as uh, you know, having kind of werewolf blood is actually <laughs> far more disrespectful than um, I having her as a as a dramatic character within the story is actually to me far less respectful to the royal family than having the royal family as a kind of, you know, jokey figure of fun, because that's as you know, British people, that's how we like to treat people that we respect and like mm-hmm. is we treat them as a joke. Right. And, and you know, a, a, a British person will, if you know, you know when a British person likes you is when they laugh at you and treat you <laughs> as though you're an idiot. That's right. when they like you. So the, it was an intentional dressing down of affection, basically. It's an affectionate, it's an affectionate portrayal of the Queen, which was weird because I thought the, the, the portrayal of um, Queen Victoria was very, very, unaffectionate mm-hmm. um and uh and interesting in that way so um i i i'm for unfortunately i i respectfully disagree with you i thought actually the queen coming out was hilarious uh i mean the, <laughs> well and, it was target and, audience and sure, obviously and I'm, I'm sure the queen thought it was funny as well <laughs> yeah oh that reminds me of uh a, a parody the queen's christmas address that she uh someone wrote on her behalf that where she oh. <laughs> Where she was talking about how uh, she was watching uh, Claire Foy as the young queen with uh, with the prince with her husband, and right. uh, basically the joke was she, it was interesting seeing how the, uh, television portrayed her as being married to Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly in her young days the queen was a science fiction fan. I mean she's well known for. Um, uh, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna mangle the anecdote, but I think she ordered the BBC to send her a, um to to, to have a, a either a repeat performance of 1984 or the original Quatermass series, mm. which I think she missed or something. Mm. So yeah, I mean she likes telly, um, and she likes sci-fi telly. So it's entirely possible that she watched The Voyage of the Damned and probably chuckled when she saw herself come out in her in her bedroom slippers i wonder hmm do you think the royal family is sitting on all the missing episodes uh feeding them out piecemeal to phil morris they could be they could be they could be no. that's true yeah nigeria was yeah. all just a cover elaborate cover story just a cover yeah exactly and, and, and then they rip off their reveal themselves to be lizard people or something and charles yeah. won't let go of web of fear three he won't no it's because it's his own it's his, his special memories yep. of that episode yep. special memories hmm Right. Oh, goodness. Well, yeah, Christmas. So uh, we are going to take a few weeks off. We'll be back to uh, review resolution um, from the uh, scuttlebutt that I've heard through the Thanosphere. The BFI screening was successful. Good. And it uh, hopefully will live up to its billing as quite entertaining. Yes. Well, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Let's keep on being optimistic. Yes. Keep on being optimistic. I think that's the thing. I don't care whether there's a returning old monster or not, um, as long as whatever monster they have is a good one. Let's hope they have a monster. Let's let's at least leave it. Leave well, that that's out. That's what there. I mean. Like a good, like a monster monster that's got an evil plan and it has to be foiled in some way. So, uh, so any rumor that you heard that this was the revenge of the Pating, I want to just squelch that right now. <laughs> it isn't the revenge of the Pating. It, it's it's going to be something different. <laughs> yeah, so we will be back in the new year. Yep. Um, we'll 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 be trying to record as as soon as possible. Um, when I am returned from my sojourn, yeah, in the United Kingdom of Great Britain, England, and Great Britain and Northern Ireland, um, might be your last time as a citizen of the European Union in your uh, native geez, mother country. Don't get me started. <laughs> don't get me started. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's, whatever. It's hell in a handbasket time for the UK. Uh, yeah which we we, we we can do a brexit episode if you want i think so honestly. well i was just wondering maybe that's why uh who isn't returning in 2019 in any major way because they have to sort out what the hell's going on with the bbc with brexit that is entirely true because it's entirely possible we've been filming possible. filming all over europe through throughout the uh moffat and uh Chibnall era so far. It's going to be a lot harder to, to film in Europe yep. when we're not in Europe anymore, even though we are geographically in Europe. Yep. So why we aren't in Europe politically, I have no idea. Anyway. Right. Well, on that right. note. Right, on that note. <laughs> uh, have a happy Christmas, Ben. And have a very Merry Christmas to you too, David. Mm. And and also to you at home. Very <laughs> All of you Christmas. at home. All of you at home. Right. All right. So uh, on to 2019 and episode 102. 102. Goodbye. Bye. It's been a long time to be missing you, you, you. You're on your way now, leper, and I'm over the moon. Everything's all in place, but there is one thing clear. Christmas isn't Christmas till you get here. Those sleigh bells ring, ring, ring.
Well, we so rarely get a chance to celebrate, but this time we must. Celebrate? Yes. It's Christmas. Don't you remember the police station? Christmas? So it was, yes. Here's a toast. A happy Christmas to all of us. <laughs> so to you, Doctor. Sir? Incidentally, a happy Christmas to all of you at home. <laughs>